We are back with another lean and mean episode of the Cold Star Project, this time with a guy who built a company called Datastorm, a software business up to $50 million in annual revenue. Very exciting. He may know a thing or two about marketing. He has been an outsourced CMO, and today he concentrates on programs to help medium-sized tech companies increase lifetime customer value and, big ticket thing here, customer retention. I want us to focus on that today. Stephen, thanks for being here. Hey, Jason. Thanks for having me on. You bet. So let's, let's get started here. What do you want most to share with our listeners about customer retention? What's missing out there in the marketplace that you help kind of fill in the gap? What's missing primarily is companies and the executives or the executives in those companies getting in touch with the market. And by that, I mean getting in touch with customers or potential customers, if you're a startup, with other people in the market or other companies in the market who are not competitors and getting a, a feel for what's going on in the market exactly. So to be more specific or to state it a different way is get away from what you think the market wants and just what you think. Don't get so enamored with what you built or are building or creating in the way of a service offering or a product that you are just absolutely convinced that the market as a whole is going to embrace it and, you know, beat a path to your door. It needs to be validated. And I can't state that mm -hmm. emphatically enough. Your ideas need to be fleshed out and they need to be validated through the the viewpoint of people outside of your organization, not everyone within the organization who is going to inherently have bought in and drank the Kool-Aid about um, what you're doing and what you're offering, including often the investors in your company. Mm. True. So yeah, get, get a, a proverbial ear to the, to the rail and, mm. and listen to learn and listen to understand and get outside of your, your office Mm -hmm. and and have some meetings have some lunches or get you know if their customers are far away get on the phone with them and and understand what what they're dealing with what their challenges are you know what keeps them up at night those kind of things and and see if your product or service offering does in fact sync with the solutions that they seek let me give you some what's going to sound like some pushback to our sure. listeners, but I, I know that you know that this is actually a lob <laughs> of a question. <laughs> what about Steve Jobs and Apple, who had that reputation of, oh, I'm the wizard and I, you know, we go into this ivory tower and come out with the iPhone and aren't we fantastic and you will love it because we made it. <laughs> well, that is actually a myth that that Steve Jobs created. He was he was an excellent person. I saw him speak in you know in person at a at a uh, software publishers association thing in the late eighties. He's he's really good. But separately from putting that kind of stuff out there that I'm just the oracle and I know it all, he he would admit and did admit publicly that they used voice of customer programs and that they went to the market to do the very thing that I'm talking about. They just, you know, he didn't talk about doing that. Uh, he talked about, Steve Jobs talked about like 
like I said, or like you said, like we just know all and see all, but it wasn't true. It truly wasn't true. You know, he took credit for, he jobs took credit or, or let Apple take credit for inventing the mouse and the graphical user interface, neither which were true. Those were invented by, uh, uh, Palo Alto Research Center, hmm. uh, owned by Xerox. Uh, it's called Park P A R C, and Apple licensed those things. And they were very, they Apple were very much in touch with consumers and quietly. You know, they just didn't make a big deal of it. They did it on the down low, if you will, and made sure that that they were creating products that would be adopted by the masses. And then Steve Jobs beat his chest like, yes, I thought of all these things myself. So great marketing uh, program there then to do one thing but say another in a sense. And, and what they were doing is what you're suggesting, which is actually finding out what the market wants. They really did. I mean, that's not Steve and Monaco just <laughs> making something up. I mean, I have the somewhere I, I could dig up on my computer, the actual date in which he said that and have a video of him, of, of him saying it and, uh, you know, cross reference to find the date of that event. Like, yeah, he really did say this, but you know, he was a good, he was very slick. He was an excellent spokesperson for the company and, you know, God bless him. God rest his soul. I mean, he was great at what he did. It's just he wasn't completely honest about that they were his ideas any more than Henry Ford was. I mean, when he said when he asked people what they wanted, they wanted faster horses. Well, he didn't invent the car. Ford didn't invent the automobile. He invented the the assembly line and gets credit for that. But the the internal combustion engine had been invented by the Germans at least two decades prior mm -hmm. but those guys are good uh you know they're good showmen they're kind of a little bit of that barnum and bailey <laughs> right <laughs> that, yeah that it's barnum always important to keep in mind the the public image right what do you have to say to i mean in in other uh episodes of the cold star project you've heard this in interviews uh mm -hmm. where Andy Green springs to mind talking about ossified businesses, right? And the mentality of, of business owners. What do you have to say to business owners, founders, CEOs who uh, are thinking maybe, well, we're making sales, you know, we're doing all right here. What's the problem? <laughs> What's the Sorry. problem with leaving things the way they are? I don't, I don't mean to laugh at that it's just when i listened to that episode i found myself nodding along with andy as he was talking and going mm -hmm. i know exactly how this story ends i know exactly what you know what he's going to say and um two things really like really first of all really is just that we're making sales is that enough i mean are you okay with that like that kind of status quo, like, yeah, we sold a few things. Like now let's go have a two martini lunch or what? I mean, is that, is that all the higher you're shooting? I mean, you, you're not aiming any higher. And the other, something that, you know, you've heard me talk about endlessly is, is the status quo and my disdain for it. It's like, just, you know, the way we've always done it. Like, why would that be okay in a world that is changing rapidly, especially the business world and even more so the technology sector. My gosh, it changes 
so quickly. If you're doing the same thing you were doing a few years ago, I guarantee you have, you know, the, the train has left the station and you are well behind and playing catch up and try to regain your momentum and catch up with whomever left you in the dust is really not a good spot to be in. You, you don't want to be in that lagging position where you aren't offering anything that anyone cares about. All right. So if you're a an executive who's looking at financial projections and budgets and that kind of thing, and you've just got a target to reach <laughs> and all you're caring about is reaching that target, it might be time to rethink your goals, huh? Well, you definitely want to reach your targets, but have more than one target. There's an adage by uh, Joffrey Moore, who wrote the book, Crossing the Chasm, who mm -hmm. there's an illustration in his book that I, I love and have referenced many times where it, it's basically a set of bowling pins. And the first mm -hmm. pin is labeled like a niche of a, a target or, or the targets that you're choosing to niche. And that's, that's, the, that's the low hanging fruit, if you will just to use a, you know, a cliche, that's the first one you're going for. You have the best chances of landing a client in that niche. Then once you have that client, you've got a marquee client that people go, oh, okay, cool. So so-and-so company went with X company. So they must have something going on. You know, they must have something going on for themselves. That's, that's, that's good because that, that marquee company could have gone with anyone then you leverage that marquee client to knock down bowling pins number two and three. And you take the marquee clients in those two niches, niches two, you know, niches two and three, now that you have one in niche one, and just keep going from there. The goal being to knock down the entire set of pins, etc. Hmm. I can hear Simon Sinek uh, from the sidelines <laughs> shouting about the law of diffusion of innovation. And I love those, you know, those, those, uh, innovators and then the early adopters and then moving into mass market. I love Simon. I've never met him personally, but I'm kind of a student of his, his books and his, of course, his super famous Ted talk and, uh, and his book eaters, I'm sorry, his book leaders eat last was really good. What can companies do? What can leaders at companies do to start taking advantage of the technology that's now available that maybe wasn't there? 10 years ago, five years ago, to start getting the feedback that they need from the marketplace in a, in a way that doesn't require maybe even a whole ton of manpower. Like you picture this army of people getting on the phone and making calls to customers for feedback. Maybe that doesn't have to happen anymore. No, it doesn't have to happen. I mean, it's, it's very helpful, I believe, for the top executives in the C-suite to get involved in some of that stuff so that they are not um, insulated and isolated and surrounded by yes men and women so that they get the, the real, you know, the real deal. And it isn't filtered to them in the, uh, you know, the, the George Patton analogy that I know, you know, and have referenced mm -hmm. before as well. Um, and that would be with social listening and the social media monitoring is what I mean by social social listening. There are a number of programs that are available that are not that expensive at all that are subscription-based SaaS companies. And you can set up keywords as far as what to listen and what to monitor for so that you start seeing the sentiment of, of people, a little bit of or a small group of people at first, and then over the course of 
not very long. I mean, like 72 hours, you start seeing quite a bit of momentum. And then in a week or so, you'll see so much data that you're like, okay, we're drinking from the fire hose now. But it provides really good insight into sentiment. And sentiment is important because you're look, it basically shows you positive sentiment, neutral sentiment, and negative sentiment mm -hmm. around certain keywords. And that can be used to get a read on what consumers value. B2C customers, B2B customers, it really doesn't matter because people are people and they're making the buying decisions where they're buying it at their home or they're buying it, making a buying decision on behalf of their corporation. Learning what they value is something that's baked into that, that sentiment analysis. And the keyword involves your product or service offering and you see that there's a lot of proverbial thumbs down in the sentiment about it as a whole, that can be very telling. It can be telling in that you're too early to market or we don't want this. Or on the flip side of that, it can be telling you that the offerings that are out there right now are not well serving the market. And there's a real opportunity for you because of that underserved market who's clamoring for something better. And that's an, that's an opportunity that should be seized. The feedback that you're going to get is going to give you information for marketing, copywriting, messaging, right? Uh, what to avoid, what to stress. You, you could have your keywords set up on your competitors and oh, find absolutely. out uh, oh, that's part, that's that they're part missing. Of, absolutely. That's, that's part of it. You, you want to see what the sentiment is about them as a company, their product and service offerings for the very same reason. You want to see complaints mm -hmm. and you want to see compliments. You, you just, you right. want to be informed. I mean, that's the whole thing is that you, you, you want a big picture. You want a very good understanding of that market niche so that you aren't that insulated person who has drank your own Kool-Aid and is a technologist who is now the CEO and founder of a tech company and with all due respect to them and their skill sets, which are skill sets that I don't have, but they don't always have a big picture. And mm. so without that big picture, they don't, there, there's a, a lot of opportunity for them to miss out on things on signals and KPIs and things like that, that should help them with their decision-making on how they steer the company and talking about copywriting and messaging and that kind of stuff. That's one thing, but prior to getting to that, the building the offering itself, mm. building the mousetrap, the product or the service, making sure you're using that feedback to make sure that you are, are crafting what it is you're delivering very purposefully so that it is something people want and will pay for and you take the guesswork out of these these targets or these that you're talking about, so that they're they're real. They're not just pie in the sky. You just didn't pull out pull them out of thin air. Or like I see a lot of companies, startups especially, that are looking for funding, is they figure out how much money they need and then they backfill the information into their Excel spreadsheet about how many units they can sell to get mm -hmm. there. And that's just that's a smoke and mirrors. Hmm. I, you know, deal with real info and, and make those decisions accordingly. 
So if, yeah, forecasts are fine, but if there hasn't been any proof of concept yet, you're probably in an ivory tower creating something that nobody wanted. Absolutely. And what a waste of time and resources and money. And we see this a lot where you get that closed in insular C-suite with a company and the patent thing you were talking about earlier, which is uh, the reports that the high command gets, the general gets are never accurate from subordinates. They're always wildly optimistic or terrifically or doom negative. And, yeah, doom and gloom. <laughs> right? one, of the, yeah. like one of the two extremes. And so if they've, if there's no reality there. If, uh, if they've all drunk the Kool-Aid and they're all super enthusiastic, then it's going to financial projections, everything are going to be like, oh, everything's going to be perfect. And right. you're going to run into be, trouble. They're going to be skewed and they're not going to be accurate. And what we want is reality. And so these kinds of programs will help us What's something more specific or sophisticated than uh, social listening, Stephen? Well, there's a number of tools in the tool belt that is known, or the tool belt referred to as voice of customer. So there's, there's all sorts of different things you can do to, to get that feedback and get that sentiment. There's things as simple as, as surveys and determining a net promoter score. Mm-hmm which, you know, you see even at like restaurants and a place where you get your oil changed, like on a scale of one to 10, how likely are you to recommend us? Mm-hmm. And, you, you know, the, the, the nine and 10 people are your potential uh, brand advocates and the people in seven and eight are, I mean, they're probably solid customers, but they do have something that kept them from checking nine or 10 on that box. And then you've got the detractors that are down at the one or two level. And it's important to get in touch with them as well. Like what was so bad about the experience? Why do you, why do you hate us? What did we do to alienate you that badly? And rather than be offended by that information, companies need, they need to embrace that information. They need to understand where they did poorly and where they didn't satisfy hmm. needs. And you're not going to make everyone happy. That's impossible. But, I mean, so you will have someone that just complains about everything. You know, they give a free lunch and a free ride to the lunch and a Rolls Royce. And they're like, ah, well, I didn't like the color of the roll. <laughs> Burger was a little dry. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but you need to, you need that feedback. You need it constantly. You know, it's maybe it's just, if it's a small organization, maybe it's just an employee who is treating people poorly or maybe that employee just had a bad day that day, which happens. Mm -hmm. That's just life. But if it's an entire department that is doing something that is alienating customers or causing friction with those, with those customers or, or the entire organization is just has a sour disposition, so to speak, because of just, that's the way that that organization behaves because there's toxicity within it. I mean, you need to know those kind of things. I've got a couple of questions about implementing some of this stuff on a day-to-day basis. I mean, you're building a $50 million ARR uh, software as a service business, essentially, with Datastorm. Mm-hmm. What did you do on a daily basis as the CEO to keep your finger on the pulse here? 
so that you know what 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 and what are you teaching people to do with the programs that you implement today so that ceos founders can act effectively without getting i mean part of this is you got to protect your mindset too right as you're growing your business you don't want to get as the the founder or ceo sucked into every little battle that you could get pulled into right because it can it can screw up your mindset. So how do you balance that out? What should these folks be doing every day? Well, you're right. I mean, you don't want to get down into the minutia where it's so granular that you're you're making knee jerk reaction decisions to every bit of feedback you you got. I mean, you need to look at them as trends and and see what kind of trends are are bubbling up or or emerging. Um, the thing that is important to do and the thing that I did and conditioned everyone in the company to do you know it sounds it sounds easy it's actually quite simple but it's it's not that easy to do but it's imperative and that is to listen that is to set up ways so that you are listening to people and I, I have to stress this I said this a bit earlier in the program but but it's very much worth repeating listen to learn and understand. So that is, don't feign listening politely while you're waiting to talk. Listen to learn and understand. You want to know, I mean, you want to put yourself in the shoes of these of these consumers and of people in the market in general to get a feel for what keeps them up at night. The, the dreaded, you know, bleeding from the neck problems. It's always kind of gory for me, but if they have those, what is it that you have in your product offering or service offering that can alleviate those immediately? And if you hear enough about a certain thing, you hear it over and over and over and over. We love your program and we love your product. We just wish that it did X. And we hear that 15, 20, 30,000 times. Well, guess what? That becomes the number one thing on the next as far as R&D on, on the next product rev. But you don't just pick something out of the air and go, well, you know what? I think we'll just start working on this. Mm -hmm. So just build in or bake in to the organization so that be it frontline customer support people, technical support people uh, that are on the phones and in the trenches with people, that they are, they are asking those questions not leading questions, not yes or no questions, but they're, they're asking open-ended questions so that people provide, they just speak with free association and just talk about how they feel. And of course, you have to record that. You have to have permission to, of course, and record that and go through the, go through the recordings and, and find out. And there's all sorts of programs that are available to do that now where you can you can sense or they can sense sentiment just by their tone of voice and also the words they're using. If they're cursing and, uh, and are yelling, I mean, that tells you pretty much they're angry and you want to listen to they're what not they're delighted. Thinking. These are not happy customers. Right. So to me, it's like, I don't know, maybe it's because I've been doing it so long and it's just, marinated into who I am and the way that I advise and consult and, and run companies. But it seems like a no-brainer to me. It really does. We're in an age where 86% of companies openly admit that they are competing on the basis of customer experience. With that fact being stated, 
why wouldn't you get all the information that you possibly can from the market and from your customers? Because how do you know how to provide the exceptional customer experience that consumers are expecting if you don't know? If you're just operating in a vacuum and are just in that that C-suite, you know, you're in the, the corner conference room and talking amongst yourselves and you're not getting input from the outside world, real input that hasn't been filtered or whatever in the George Patton analogy sense of it, good or bad, but it's the, it's the unvarnished truth. That's what we want. That's what we need to operate from is, is truisms. What's really going on? Right. I, a lot of the marketing for cold star talks about understanding and believing it and getting at the, the brutal truth, whether you like it or not. From what you're saying, it sounds like the ability to listen and put yourself in the customer's shoes needs to permeate the entire organization. It's not without, something that we just turn on because otherwise you get this bunker mentality, right? Without a doubt. And, and here's where I see the biggest challenge organizationally is that this absolutely must come from the top. Mm-hmm. There are people in the organization that they inherently know to do this, or they knew from a previous position at a different company or whatever, and and they are champions for it within their department. And sometimes they can get supervisors and directors to listen to them and understand that what so-and-so is saying here really makes sense. And we need to get this information, but that's a requisite for success. It's a step in the right direction. But it needs to come from the top. It needs to be, it needs to be mandated from the C-suite, and the CEO definitely needs to be involved in it. And he or she definitely needs to reinforce this and demonstrate it so people at all levels within the organization understand that this is something that the company values. This information that we seek is important, and we need it. So it isn't just like, you know, this month's kind of flash in the pan initiative mm-hmm. that we're going we're gonna to try and throw it against the wall and see if it sticks. This needs to be baked in. It absolutely must come from the top and needs to, and the, the CEO and the rest of the C-suite need to believe it. I mean, they can't just, they can't just fake it and say, yeah, you know, we're doing this and it's kind of like, you know, we're going through the motions. No, it just, that doesn't work. It doesn't work. And the information that you get from one department can be so important to another department that you don't even realize because, you know, your head's down and you're doing what you do in this department and you're good at it. And you get some information that doesn't necessarily mean anything to you. However, it might mean a great deal to operations or to finance or accounting and sharing that information and have mechanisms within the organization. So that information is, is shared across departments is very important too, because it, it helps that continual improvement and growth and helps better position the company to provide those exceptional customer experiences across the board. Getting rid of those silos can be so difficult. I remember talking with Matt Daniel of hello process. In, mm-hmm. in another Cold Star project interview. And mm-hmm. I said, feedback loops within the company have been the number one bane of my existence. 
and he 100% agreed. They're, they're the most difficult thing. You think you're smart. You think you've put them in place. You think people are looking, and yet it's two weeks before you realize you've even got a problem. I mean, something from your expertise, Stephen, comments on company websites. How often are they missed, seen, when a customer goes and leaves a comment on a company website? So the comments left on websites are seen pretty often, pretty regularly. The, where companies really fall down are the comments left on social. And on social media. On social media. I'm sorry. Yes, on social media. And there's this, there's this real disconnect that, that companies don't realize that if they have set up a presence on a social platform, it doesn't matter which one it is. Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Pinterest, any of them. Consumers see that as a channel. Mm -hmm. You're talking to them on that channel. You, the company, are talking to consumers by posting photos and videos and, and things like that and just posts in general. So the consumers see that as a two-way street in that, well, I can communicate back to you on that. However, companies miss something like 80% of of those messages and they're often legitimate questions about um, I'm having trouble using the product or how do I get it started or as far as the initialization how do I get it installed how do I get up and running or it broke how do I return it and the fact that those go completely ignored so frequently well the fact that they go ignored at all it infuriates the person who left the message who never got any response because they were ignored and no one likes to be ignored that's it's just rude and this was a customer who spent money and bought your product or service and they just need a little help just hey you know they're not asking for the world they're just like i need a little nudge here you know help help me out or if it broke so to speak, or doesn't work and they need to return it? You know, do I return it to the store? Do I return it directly to you? There's a whole myriad of questions. I mean, there's thousands of questions, but the fact that they are completely ignored and that companies still see, unfortunately, social media as a megaphone where they are talking and broadcasting out without Mm -hmm. listening and getting that feedback and getting dialogues going. There's so much information that's so important such relevant information comes when you get a dialogue going. Yeah. So if you're running a medium sized to large company and using social media, it's probable that you're completely ignoring a data source there of, of important information. Uh, there's probably a broken feedback loop because you've been treating it like television, a one way broadcasting distribution channel of your content instead of listening. And you're, accidentally likely creating uh, defectors, (laughs) angry people walking away from your product or service. Well, it is likely. Not only, I mean, it's quite likely, and not only are they walking away from the product or service, they're doing it (laughs) with a lot of noise. They are loud about it, and they they are sharing their negative experience across social profiles and people read that stuff. And we are, as consumers, we are very inclined to pay attention to those things. We are almost twice as inclined, like 1.9 times more inclined to believe a review or a comment from a total stranger that's left online than we are from what the company says from on high. 
because everyone knows that when a company says something, they're going to put their best foot forward. They're going to put themselves in the best possible light. They're not going to talk about the negative things, whereas consumers do. You know, we share with each other with our rating system, like on Amazon, the five star or whatever. There's so many platforms for people to provide those those comments and that feedback and across all the social platforms. Yeah. I mean, there's a lesson there. If you're going to get on social as a company and you know, you haven't already, you need to staff your social platform. I mean, someone needs to be paying attention all the time. Now there's a couple companies that are outstanding at it. Large companies like Dell. I mean, they have a, they have a whole like war room with these giant, high def monitors all over the walls and there's a number of people monitoring each platform real time 24 7 and having a a bad comment or a negative comment isn't a bad thing it's how you respond to it because there are thousands if not tens of thousands of people who are seeing that not necessarily in real time but they see it and how you respond and if you were helpful and the tone you used and all of those things or if it's just crickets and they don't hear a thing, again, infuriating. So how often as the CEO should you be looking at this stuff? Uh, you know, you hire someone, I, I take it to collect and sift through this data and make sure the feedback loops are working and customers are actually listened to and given feedback to. When do you step in or how often do you see this stuff? How do you see, in what form do you see it? Okay, good. I mean, good series of questions there. First of all, this whole process should be owned by the CMO or the VP of marketing or whoever the senior most marketing person is in the organization. Voice the customer belongs to them and it, it is incumbent upon the leader in the marketing department to, to get these programs in place and to get this information shared across departments and into the C-suite, across the C-suite. So as far as when or how often should the CEO see it or act on it, mm -hmm. it depends. I mean, really, it depends on when you start seeing trends that require, require action about, you know, we need to do more of this because it's, it's being reacted to very positively. Or, you know, we're seeing this trend we're hearing more and more about this, that this isn't working. We are causing friction with our consumer and our customer base. And we need to, I mean, the problem's been identified here. So we need to take action to remove that friction or those struggle points with the customer on the website, wherever it is that they are occurring. So it isn't so much like, okay, you know, every Tuesday, at 2 p.m. take a look at these stuff but as they bubble up and you start mm -hmm. seeing that there is a trend good or bad to act on them and and do something be proactive about it don't be complacent because people are taking the time and energy to share with you their sentiment their thoughts their feelings good bad Okay, so it's important to have it in there somewhere. Have it in uh, there. And in have somebody trustworthy managing the thing who's got the discernment to be able to bring it to your attention. when Right, it's not going to run on, auto, on autopilot. I mean, you can get a lot of the, the, the tools in place so that it's set up so that consumers 
are able to to provide that information. But yes, at some point, a human being needs to look at the data and analyze it and have the discernment to say, this is good, or this is, <laughs> this is terrible, and we need to act on it. And I can't, I can't stress enough as far as this is an ongoing thing. It must be. It must be because that's mm -hmm. how you can, that's how you foster innovation. And that's how you keep changing and making positive improvements so that you can continue to, to dominate. Or if you're not, if you're in a challenger position so that you can start chunking away at the market share of the person in the dominant position. You know, I really like working with underdog companies mm. and that are going after the the Microsofts like like we did at Datastorm and beating them and the the David and Goliath story that's so inspirational and is so true you know when it's true it's exciting because it gives people hope that you can beat a huge fortune 50 company as a as an early stage company if you're doing the right things because these huge companies are often lumbering giants that are bound in red tape and the status quo is just a way of life and there's seven layers of approval required through management to get a simple decision made like yeah should we buy a box of paper clips well i don't know let's let's check i got to get approval on that i mean i'm being facetious on that but i'm driving the point home in that it doesn't matter how big you are you can fail it's ridiculous to think you can be too large to fail general motors did kodak did blockbuster did lots of companies do and you'll find time and time again when that happens it's because the executives were cavalier about what was going on in the marketplace that they were aware of or worse they just weren't aware of it at all or i don't actually i don't know which is worse both are bad if you're aware of it and don't do anything about it you know shame on you if you if you aren't aware of it because you're clueless and don't have anything in place to get that information and get that feedback which is readily available then shame on you as well i don't feel badly for companies like Kodak and Blockbuster that just things are changing all around them and they just go, okay, just continue on the course we've always been on. And you know me, Jason, I'm not a cold hearted person at all. I just, I don't feel badly for them. It, neither one of those companies were blindsided by something that happened overnight. Mm -hmm. These were long time coming. Blockbuster had a chance to buy Netflix five right. separate times for i believe it was 50 million dollars was the highest price and they just blew it off right it's like okay hindsight being 2020 <laughs> be yeah. quite a deal yeah and in 1976 kodak had 95 percent of the photographic paper market and mm -hmm. a similar percentage of that of that market share with regards to uh, photographic development chemicals and stuff and you know a lot of people don't realize kodak is the company that invented the digital camera they mm -hmm. just didn't market it they only marketed it to science communities and academia because they thought they were just going to go forever on on photographic paper on, on right. photo paper but right Gosh, I mean, it, it. like I said, it didn't change overnight. It wasn't like they were blindsided and just woke up one day and went, oh my gosh, 
there's tens of millions of digital cameras. Right. Where did those come from? Yeah. Where did they come from? Were they dropped by, you know, from the heavens? No, this was a very slow, steady ramp up and people adopting this, this new thing where they didn't have to take their film in to be developed. You know, the story, you're a photographer, but it's just, you know, it's to hopefully illustrate the point to the listeners that you can be big and, and number one in your market space and have been in that dominant position for years, if not decades, and still have your lunch eaten, so to speak. And you can be a small company. You can be a startup like Datastorm was and just keep doing the right thing. Realize when you're making mistakes, stop doing those dumb things once you realize they're dumb and just keep improving, keep innovating, keep listening, just kick sand in the face of those market leaders, take their market share, take their money, watch their profits erode. And not that we put Microsoft out of business, but I stretch the imagination. I would never even pretend to imply that, but to have them strategically withdraw a product from the niche, that was fun. That was a good time. Right. <laughs> was a good time. Right. Stephen, to wrap up, what is a, the most common situation or realization that a business owner, founder, CEO has when they realize, oh, they need to work with somebody like you? I'm sorry, dude. Can you please ask that again? What's the situation or realization that a business owner, CEO, CEO or founder typically has when they realize that they need to work with someone like you? Chances are, and I don't mean to sound arrogant about this, but chances are overwhelmingly strong that you do not have these things in place to the level that you need. And I say that predicated on the fact that, again, 86% of corporations readily admit that they are now competing based on customer experience and they are not, you know, 86% of them are not providing exceptional customer experiences. So I get involved in companies at, at all, at all levels. Um, if you've got a voice, the customer program in place, chances are it needs improvement. If you don't have one in place, my goodness, you should get started in the morning. If not, to, if not this evening, I mean, start immediately. Okay. I mean, now, it's, it's, those, it's those guys, the ossified ones will say, Stephen, I've lived long enough without this. You know, we've, we've survived and gotten this far without it. What can we say to change their mind? Or are we just looking I, for the innovators? I, I don't know that, that those minds can be changed. If, if, they're that, if their heels are dug in that deeply and they are that reticent to, to change personally, I would move on to a company that is more forward thinking and is not so set in their ways. I could go on and on about this, but won't. But I mean, if, if you think that you've lived so long that you know everything and there's nothing left to learn, then I don't know, man. I don't know what to say to those people other than you're, you're mistaken. Right. It's probably not a fit. All right, best yes. way for people to get a hold of you who want to find out more about this stuff. Um, the best way to get a hold of me definitely is the contact form on my website, which is stephenmonaco.com. I'll spell it. It's S-T-E-P-H-E-N 
Monaco like the country, M-O-N-A-C-O, stephenmonaco.com. There's a contact form. Those are pushed to me. I do see every single one of those and respond to all of the ones that that make sense. Not the, <laughs> not the spam. <laughs> no, not the spam. All right, Stephen, thanks for being here today. Appreciate it, Jason. Thanks for having me on.